Well, good morning and uh, welcome to uh, Christ Community Church, our Leeward campus. Hope you're having a great summer and uh, enjoying the, the hot days. I was out on my deck early, early this morning and I couldn't believe how warm it was. So I uh, hope you love warm weather. I'm a northerner, so the summer is always a challenge for me, for sure. But we're really glad you're here and hope you're having a great summer. Hope you're getting some time to relax and chill out a little bit on vacation and so forth. Well, the greatest invention of my life, what do you think it is? It's GPS. Um, but sometimes GPS is the worst. Now, if you're a Garmin employee, uh, that's okay. Okay, I love you. But sometimes my newbie actually leads me to the wrong place, to a place I don't want to go. I'm reminded of uh, this classic moment from one of my favorite TV shows, once top-rated The Office. Watch. <laughs> is that a classic moment of Michael Scott's stupidity? Uh, if you're an Office fan, you know that's the best as, as it gets, as far as I'm concerned. But we often find ourselves, don't we, like that? Um, maybe uh, not quite as stupid as them, but uh, we find ourselves, don't we, over our head in the deep water of dead ends of life. And uh, if you're like me, who loves directions and knowing where you're going, is there anything more hopeless than coming into a dead end? I don't think so. Maybe you're here this morning, you find yourself stuck in a dead end. There are many of them in life, right? A dead end job a dead-end career or a dead-end company, and you may feel trapped with no place to go, right? No opportunity to advance. You really can't leave it. You don't like it, and you're stuck. Perhaps you find yourself also in a dead-end relationship. Dead ends often find ourselves there. You may feel lonely and discouraged. You wanted so much more in the relationship, and you are really hurting. You may be in the dead end of a financial reality, Dead ends often meet us in finances. Some of you may have school debt hanging over you, and uh, it hangs over you heavily. Then you wonder if a bright future can ever be yours financially. Some of you may be worrying, somewhat smothering your joy. I hear this often as you inch ever closer to that magical word called retirement. Uh, you don't have enough saved. You don't have health or vitality enough for that coming day when the paycheck will not be coming anymore. Now, whether we are a person of strong faith here today or a person who is skeptical of faith, all of us have a common reality. And that is, life often brings us to dead ends. And we don't like dead ends, do we? We'd rather have wide open doors of great opportunity. But let me suggest to you that there is someone who loves dead ends. God loves dead ends. We're going to see this in our story in Exodus this morning, that God does some of His best work in our dead ends. So if you brought your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, it goes Genesis, then Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Now, if you've been with us this summer, you know we've been exploring as a teaching team across our campuses the Exodus story. So let's recall the main character of our story, I know I've said this several times, is not Moses. Moses is important, but God is the main character. And last week we uh, covered a lot of terrain, chapters 6 through 13, and I want to remind you that we heard an antiphonal repeated refrain across this literary riveting narrative, and the repeated refrain, refrain is strong hand, God's strong hand. God's strong hand is seen in His extraordinary power, His supreme power over the gods of Egypt and the ten plagues of judgment that we looked at last week. 
And then on Passover night, when no one slept, I assure you, God, in a burst of his awesome power, delivers God's covenant people, imagine this, from 400 years of oppression and slavery in Egypt. So can you imagine walking in their sandals after that glorious night as they head out into the wilderness on their way to this promised land of milk and honey, a great place they're going to, God's covenant people must have had high hopes in their heart, don't you think? They must have looked at the fading, massive civilization of Egypt with all its glory in their rearview mirror, and they must have had a sense of exhilaration. They must have had a buoyant optimism that put a sort of jump in their step as they walked across the desert, and they wondered, wow, finally our time, our hard times are over. Good times are ahead. That must have been what they were thinking. But what surprises us in the Exodus story is suddenly the narrator takes us to a hairpin turn, and it's a dead end. On the heels of the night they would never forget, they suddenly encounter a dead end that they did not expect. So what do they do? What do we do when we encounter life's dead ends? So this morning in this extraordinary narrative, in this amazing story, we're going to find two transforming truths that will help us understand how to navigate life's dead ends. The first one we're going to look at is dead ends are God-sized opportunities. Dead ends are God-sized opportunities. And then on the heels of that, dead ends are open doors to big God faith. They're open doors to big God faith. So let's pick up where our story ends and the end of chapter 13. Now we notice in the end of chapter 13, remember in the original text there are no chapter breaks, so the story is seamless. And after delivering his covenant people in Egypt, God leads them. You'll notice in the narrative you heard read this morning, it's a route that is anything but the shortest to the promised land. It's a rather circuitous one. It certainly isn't convenient. It's certainly not the most efficient. And I think as we enter the story, we move across the sands of time to our own life this morning in a quick shot of application because many of us who seek God's will, who long for God to guide us in his perfect life for us, often find our lives, right, whether we're younger or older in between, <laughs> that God's directional plan and path for our lives often is not anything but the shortest. It's not anything but the most efficient or the most convenient or the most comfortable. And I think this is important for us to remember that God in our lives has something more than efficiency up His sovereign sleeves, God has his ultimate glory in mind, and yes, as hard as it is for my life and your life, he wants to transform us on the journey. Now, let's not forget that in our Exodus story, that even before the technological invention of GPS, God has his own sovereign global positioning system. And I want you to see it. He didn't need satellites or topographical maps to guide him. You'll notice in the narrative, in the original language, it's very specific in the grammar and the morphology or structure of the language, God's causation footprint is all over the grammar. In other words, without Siri, you know, one of my second favorite inventions, uh, my wife calls her the, the second woman in my life, uh, God's positioning system worked just fine. There's no problem with navigation here. In fact, the writer of Exodus explicitly says in verse 18 of chapter 13, notice, very causal, God 
led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. This is important for us to grasp in our story. As chapter 14 opens up then, as the story continues, we are told that God leads His people, notice in the text, if you're following along, right up to the very edge of the Red Sea. Look with me at chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth and Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Safon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, these words are hard to pronounce. Uh, they're let, let alone, they're hard to give any sense of geographical proximity. And we don't know exactly where I throw a map up there. We're not exactly sure where this is. So the big idea is not the names, so don't freak out on that, or their proximity geographically. The big idea the writer wants us to grasp is the word see. Do you see it? God specifically instructs Moses. He wants the, all the children of Israel to set up camp and notice, on the edge of the sea, notice, facing the sea. So this is very important to the narrative. All of God's people are right up with their backsides to the sea, this big sea in front of them. And God takes them right up to the edge. Hmm. Now, isn't it interesting, with such inordinate attention to this small detail, the Exodus writer in the story, Do Not Miss It, is giving us a big point. And that is, God not only knew where the Red Sea was, it didn't take him by surprise, God specifically led his people there, specifically. And God has some stunning words to tell Moses. Let me paraphrase these first verses in the story. Basically, he says to Moses, hey, Moses, uh, you know, Moses, you may have thought you were dealing with Pharaoh, and now that's all done, right? But get ready for an encore. Remember that hard-hearted king that I kept hardening his heart? I'm doing more of it. So Moses, as we speak, Pharaoh is changing his mind about letting y'all go. He's changing his mind. He's gathering the best military forces in the world at that time, and he's coming after you. But Moses, now don't forget, just like I dealt with Pharaoh back in Egypt, I'm going to deal with him in the wilderness by the Red Sea. Just watch and see. Just wait and see. And sure enough, just as God told Moses in verses 5 through 9, we hear Pharaoh's words given to his advisors in the palace way back in Egypt. It's basically this, guys, what have we done? I mean, there's such a thing as being stupid and dumb stupid. We've been dumb stupid. Let's go get him. So off Pharaoh goes. You can hear the chariots and the horses' footbeats in the text as they race to the Red Sea. And the text tells us, and the story you can imagine, not only the energy around Pharaoh and his army getting after these hillbilly people, but you'll notice in the story, Pharaoh is thinking shock and awe. I mean, he's a brilliant military commander. But the dripping irony of the story that you know, if you've read the story, is that shock and awe is not going to be the Hebrew people. The shock and awe is going to be Pharaoh and the biggest army of the world at that time. So imagine Pharaoh and his gang, his henchmen, approach. 
The Hebrews are camped out in front of the sea, right next to the sea. Think of all the Hebrew men, women, little children, cattle, everything. They are sitting ducks. Big time. They're trapped in a dead end. The idea is they have nowhere to go. Now think with me for a moment of American history, for example, military history. Many of us know Sunday, December 7th, 1941 was an amazing day in our history. It was the day the Imperial Japanese Navy launched a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor and the Pacific Fleet of the, of the United States. The result, as you know from history, was unimaginable carnage and death. Other Chuck Swindoll, in a book called Moses, captures the military reality of the moment. You remember in the story, the children of Israel walk out in military formation, but they are no match for Pharaoh and his armies and his brilliant technology. Chuck Swindoll writes, they stood staring at the waters of the Red Sea. <laughs> to the north, strong enemy fortresses. You get this idea? To the south, blazing desert. To the west, Egypt. They were boxed in. There was no back door, a geographical trap with no possibility of escape. Everybody in the story knows that. God knows it, Moses knows it, Pharaoh knows it, and all the people know it, and they freak out. The story goes that they panic, and instead of turning to God, they turn on Moses. They basically say, Moses, it's all your fault, dude. You let us out here in this God-forsaken wilderness. We didn't want to go in the first place, don't you remember? Yet there is someone who is the main actor in the drama that is not taken by surprise. He's not shaking in his boots at all. God is in charge of this. He's the one leading the covenant people of God, not Moses. And God knew the dead end was coming. God saw it, and he led his people right there. And there has to be a truth embedded in this narrative that is timeless and timely for each one of us. And that is that dead ends may surprise us, but they do not surprise God. Moses and the people, there's no question, are scared spitless. You would be too. They are facing a dead end. But our dead ends are God-sized opportunities. Look at verses 13 through 14. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. See, dead ends don't surprise God, nor do they stop God, but they do call us to move forward in courageous faith. Look at verse 15. The Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? The idea here is a passionate prayer, a desperate prayer. It's a God help me, Hail Mary prayer. That's the idea in the text. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. In other words, what God is saying in the narrative, it's actually humorous, more humorous in the original language than English. God, Moses basically says, or God says to Moses, stop praying. And get moving. When's the last time God told you to stop praying and get off your butt? Hope that's not too rude. 
But basically, he's saying, I'm going to do this for my way, my glory, so chill it. I promise. Get moving. That's the idea. So the pursuing, pursuing Egyptians, nipping at his heels, and his own knees knocking, there's no question, Moses is also scared, but he steps out in faith. He takes the first step. And notice in the story, he obeys God's instructions to the letter. Faith obeys God. He raises his staff over the sea. You know, we're given a little bit, you, your imagination's got to go here with me this morning. There's this massive strong east wind that begins to blow. The waters are divided in like a wall, and there is a path to walk through. All night, another night that nobody slept, <laughs> where the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire protected God's people as they waited, all night the east wind blew. And then, in the morning, God's covenant people from the smallest to the least, all their cattle, everything, walk through the Red Sea. And notice the story says, they didn't even get a splash of mud on their sandals. When they cross, Moses raises his hands and God moves in supernatural power and all the Egyptians who are pursuing them, all the army, Every last one of them perished as the sea comes over them. See, what God's people thought was a dead end for them was truly a dead end for the enemies of God. Who's trapped? Who's delivered? See, God was committed to teach his covenant people right out of the chute. Shortly after he delivered them from Egypt, an important lesson of faith, and as in our story goes, you know they're going to wrestle with this lesson a lot, just like you and I do, and it's this. Faith often has no contingency plan. No contingency plan to turn to, but only a sovereign God to trust in. One commentator, scholar, puts it this way, so brilliantly in this narrative. He says, God gave them no plan. He gave them himself. He was their plan. That's it. From the very start of Christ's community story is a story that can only be understood through this kind of faith. A group of very average people who are willing to tr trust God and step out in courageous faith is the story of Christ's community church. Many of you know Christ's community began just with Liz and me and our six-month-old son Schaefer in an apartment in Nexon, 1989. We had no people, we had no buildings, no money, no financial resources, only God. When you have God, that's all you need. That doesn't mean it's not scary. Step by step, little by little, in humble obscurity, Christ's community began to grow. We moved from our apartment to a member's house, to another member's house, to a basement and office, to a very hot summer in a school gym with no air conditioning. And then we met at Overland Trail Middle School for several years. Our ability to keep using that school was coming to an end, and time was running out on us. We had purchased land, but we didn't have the money we needed to begin building phase one of Leewood. We were, all of us, at a dead end, facing 
a big and imposing and impossible Red Sea. There was no turning back. There was no moving forward. We were stuck. Not one of us knew what to do. We had made a commitment to build a building for our sister church that we were planting in Romania, in Corte Dargis, Romania. In an elder meeting on a Thursday morning, our elders in faith sent $50,000 that we had for that project, knowing that we needed a minimum of $500,000 to secure a bank loan for the construction of phase one of Leewood. That very Sunday evening, we were scheduled for a congregational meeting all about the next steps of building a home for Christ's community. What were we to do? What were we to tell our congregation? We couldn't stay in the school much longer. Time was running out. We couldn't move forward building a church home. We just prayed. That Sunday morning, I gave a message on faith with a pit in my stomach, knowing that congregational meeting was that night. I arrived home for lunch, and as soon as I arrived home for lunch, I received a phone call at my home. A person here in Kansas City who was not part of our congregation knew about what we were doing and the Catholic mission God had called Christ community to be in our city and our world. This person said, I will write Christ community a check for $500,000 and have a courier sent it to your home this afternoon. Needless to say, I was a tearful mess. That night was an unforgettable night in Christ community's history. And some of you who are here, you know that that congregational business meeting turned into a prayer meeting of praise. Before our teary eyes, the red sea waters of human limitation parted with supernatural intervention of a good and great God who not only wanted to teach us an important lesson on faith, but remind all of us whose glory was being revealed and whose church this was. Each week when you walk into this campus, this particular area here is phase one. May it be a reminder that you are sitting on a memorial. Memorial of God parting the Red Sea and allowing us as a congregation to walk across dry land. In fact, when we moved into phase one, we moved into phase one debt-free. Christ community has experienced many Red Sea moments in our walk of faith, and there are more ahead for us. But may we always remember that we are called to look through the lens of faith, not through the lens of human limitations. You and I were never designed to live within the confines of human eyesight or human resources. We were created and redeemed to live in the inexhaustible riches of a big God faith. Dead ends may feel like the end for you, but dead ends are often the disguised new beginning God has for you and me. Dead ends are God-sized opportunities. Are you finding yourself on a dead end today? Do you feel trapped? Are you longing to go back to the days of old, the familiar land of Egypt perhaps, that you realize the road of time is closed off to you now? You can't go back. Our dear friend Sarah Groves, a wonderful singer and writer, has a wonderful song called Painting Pictures of Egypt, and she describes life in the dead end brilliantly. Here's some of her words. 
I've been painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what it lacks. The future feels so hard, and I want to go back. But the places that used to be, that used to fit me, cannot hold the things I've learned. Those roads were close off to me while my back was turned. Do you want to go back to Egypt today? And God has you in a dead end? Is there a big sea in front of you? How will you respond? Maybe you find yourself in a disorienting big change in your life. Maybe it's the dead end of grief from the loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or a loss of a dream. Perhaps the dead end you're facing is an irreconcilable relationship or overwhelming strangle you feel of a dead end of a substance or pornographic or gambling addiction. Or maybe it's the dead end of a downward spiraling business or overwhelming financial challenges. Maybe you fear and feel the hopeless dead end of a prodigal child or spouse that has wandered far away from the faith and from your emotional heart. Sometimes the hardest dead ends for me are the dead ends of unanswered prayer. And maybe you are blaming God in those dead ends. Maybe you are doubting God. You may be embittered in those dead ends. But will you trust God enough to stop blaming God for those dead ends you face? And will you trust Him in the midst of overwhelming circumstances? See, through the eyes of faith, you and I can see that God does some of His best work in our dead ends. The most perilous thing we encounter in life is not dead ends, it's a hardened heart. A frozenness and bitterness or fear that keeps you from moving forward in faith. Will you take the first step of faith in that dead end this morning? Later in our story, when God's covenant people go to the promised land, they have to cross another body of water called the Jordan River. It's overflowing its banks and they have to take the first step before it parts. Faith is like that. Faith often requires us to take the first step and for God to meet us in his provision and power and healing in that step. I'm often reminded of this when I run. I'm a trudger, I'm a jogger. (laughs) And you know, my first step of moving from walking to running is the hardest step I take all day. The first step. Once I get this one foot in front of the other, I start running. And the hardest step of faith is the first one. God-honoring faith finds, and hear me carefully, initial traction in our very first step. Not the second or third, but the very first one of obedience. Life's dead ends are not only God-sized opportunities. Notice how our story opens the door to the second transforming truth. And that is, dead ends are open doors to big God faith. Look at verses 30 through 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Can you imagine what was going through their minds as they walked through on dry land in the midst of the sea? Can you imagine what they must have been feeling as they saw their hateful oppressors vanquished before their eyes? They must have danced a jig. I would. They must have given each other high fives, young and old. And it must have been a ticker tape parade kind of joy. And they must have seen the greatness of God at that moment. Because it's not our Red Sea obstacles that are too big, dear friends, or our dead ends are too imposing. It is our view of God that is way too small. It's not the massive size of your circumstances, however difficult they are. It is the puniness of your faith that's the issue. Notice how the New Testament writer looks back at this moment through the eyes of faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty nine, 29, we read these words. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. What is faith? Faith is not merely believing something to be true. Faith is acting on that truth in all dimensions of life. Faith calls us to God-attentiveness and God-dependence in an entirely new way in which we see the world and live in it every day. True faith is not only a coherent way of believing, it is a comprehensive way of living and loving. See, faith not only informs us and inspires us when we gather for corporate worship, but it profoundly inspires, empowers, and informs us when we arrive for work on Monday morning. How we raise our children, how we run our business, how we serve our customers on Monday. See, faith makes it possible to see the world as God sees it and to live in the world as a God-bathed world. Do you find yourself on a dead end this morning? Perhaps God has led you right there so you can grow in big God faith. Are you growing in big God faith? I think there are two big threats to big God faith. I'd like you to write these down and reflect on these as application. First, it's forgetting the right things. Forgetting the right things. We often think doubt is the greatest challenge to faith, but perhaps there is a greater obstacle, and that is forgetfulness. We tend to remember the wrong things in our life rather than remember the right things. We all forget, don't we? Young and old. Some of us who are older may forget more. But the peril of forgetfulness is forgetting the right things. Those Red Sea moments in our lives where God has demonstrated his faithfulness, he's provided for us, he's guided us, he's healed us, he's helped us, and he's delivered us from our own sin. How will you individually and as a family be more intentional about remembering the right things in your life? God's faithfulness in your past. Let me suggest some things that I do. There's a discipline of journaling, of keeping track of what God is doing. Picture albums in our home, physical reminders in our home of God's past faithfulness. Family vacations we have taken to trace the history, our history of God's faithfulness with our children when God is part of the Red Sea. See, remembering our memories of what God has done in the past fuels our confidence to embracing a big God faith in the present. The danger to big God faith is forgetting the right things. Secondly, it's fearing the wrong things. 
What are the wrong things we fear? I read an article recently about the top 10 fears that we have. You know what they are? Let me give you the three top ones in lots of research. First one is fear of failure. Second one is fear of death. Third is fear of rejection from others. Maybe the Pharaoh of fear is nipping at your heel here. Maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe you're starting a new business enterprise or a new initiative in your business or a new career or going back to school or you're being challenged by God to do something you've never done before and you're paralyzed by fear and you're unwilling to trust God to grow in your life to greater productivity and wholeness. We also can fear, right, the Pharaoh of rejection. Wow. Many times we may be on the edge of placing our faith in Jesus Christ, but we fear what our spouse would say or our parents would say or our friends would say or our schoolmates would say if we become a Christian. Or maybe we're already a Christian, but the fear of rejection from our friends or our colleagues at work silences our Christian witness both in words and deeds. See, faith calls us to fear or revere God more than we fear other things anything else, whether they be the possibility of failure in my life or your life or the disapproval of others or the fear of loneliness or being unknown. Big God, faith calls us to remember the right things and to revere God more than anything else. See, life's seeming dead ends are not the end. They are God-sized beginnings. For the Christian, the good news of the gospel reminds each of us that dead ends are never really the end for the Christian. Because the ultimate dead end of death has been dealt with decisively by Jesus Christ. The bloody cross was a dead end. On the third day, Jesus gloriously rose from the dead. The garden tomb was a dead end, but not for long. In that moment, he parted the red sea of death and made a path for us. The good news of the gospel is that because what Jesus has done for us, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can experience brand new life. And we can walk through even the valley of the shadow of death without fear to the promised land God has for us. A future new heaven and new earth where we will one day be safely home and we will be completely whole. God loves dead ends. He does. Because often they are where he does his best work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to your glory, to how great you are. Teach us to walk by faith. Keep us from suffocating within the confines of human limitations. We pray in Jesus' name.